I've really enjoyed share time. And uh, thank you to Nate and Simon. I may think twice when I kill a fly or a jigger. Um, but I think it's really good for us to stop and notice God's care and God's provision for creation. And my prayer is that what we just discussed, will the connection will be pretty clear by the end of the sermon, how God cares for us and our trust in him and his trustworthiness. Um, so thank you for that time. I'm also going to ask two children to help me this morning. Uh, and I'm going to pick you all out since you're here on the edge of the bench. Could you hold on to this and open it when I ask you to? And then figure out what's inside. And would you hang on to this? You're going to have a little harder job because I'm not going to ask to that one until about halfway through. So if you could just hold on to that. And um, I would like you all to open it at some point. And the goal here is that we can have a little illustration for the children of what the adults are talking about. Today, um, a little bit of a different sermon for me in some regards. I just I want to take us to a one chapter of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3. And what I would like to do is I would like to talk about a concern that I believe is probably shared by all believers in this room and possibly, possibly around the world. I'd like to talk about that concern, and I'd also like to talk about a promise that God gives us. And we're very aware of both sides of these, but I'd like to put them together because God puts them together in his word. Um, so that's, that's the prayer for the morning where I would like to go. Just to, I'd like to um, invite and hear a little bit from you, hear some feedback. When, and the concern is this. So who all finds themselves, when you look at your life, you look at, you look at culture, or you look at what's happening in the world, does anybody feel a level of concern of, well, where is this headed? And what does the future hold? And what am I going to face? What are my children going to face? What are my grandchildren going to face? Can anybody relate to any of those thoughts and those feelings? And I'm, I'm guessing probably yes, and probably fairly often. So let's, um, let's just talk a little bit about them. When, when you face those fears, what, what are they? Um, what are the fears that we have when we look at what's happening and we worry about where it will go? This is not a trick question. Go ahead, Mary. I don't think there's not enough of something. <laughs> there's not enough of something. That's a good point. There is not enough of something. What are the fears that come to mind? Don't have, uh, William? Hostilities increasing. I, who all can relate to that? When it comes to the Christian life, hostilities increasing. Absolutely. What other fears uh, come to mind as you look around the world? Does that kind of sum it up? How are we going to stick together? It's another way of saying that. What happens to the church? How does the church stay together? Um, great question. Yeah. The fear of deception. More and more lies, greater um, deception. And how do we stand? How do we stand in truth? I can relate to all of these. So the any others that come to mind that haven't been mentioned?
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of world will our children grow up? And specifically, what's acceptable you know, now or down the road um, that was not and isn't acceptable according to God's word? I deal with all of these fears. Um, and so just as I was thinking of summarizing them, here are three that I kind of thought of, and these have all been mentioned, but looking around at the decay of culture and the reality of deception, and the last one, I'd love to put a nice, a better word to it, but it, it's just there, um, persecution or opposition. Um, And these really do kind of capture, when I look at the future and deal with fear, what I'm talking about. And so today, um, well, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be bad news and there's good news, but God in his word actually talks about all three of these things, and then he ends with a promise that is amazing to me, and I think gives us hope um, for where we're going to, hope for the future. So that's uh, what I want to talk about in 2 Timothy 3. Um, Okay, but before we get into scripture, could you all open your envelope and let's talk to the children a little bit about what we hope to talk about. So you just open it up and hold it up and let's see what's inside. And I'm sorry, it is not a very good gift. (laughs) Do you want to hold it up so everybody can see? It's, It's pretty exciting. Can I hold it up? It's a manual for my new washing machine. (laughs) I have not read it. Um, So we bought a new washing, anyway, it's kind of a long story. We bought a new washing machine during COVID, which turned into a whole ordeal. But I put the manual in here. And children, the reason I want it to have a manual is because we're going to talk about concern for the future. But there is something that's like a manual that helps us know what to do. And sometimes in the back of a manual, there's a guarantee that if anything goes wrong in the next year, that they'll replace it. So we're going to talk about a manual, and then, children, we're going to talk about a guarantee that God has given us. There's a promise that God has given us. So thank you for helping me out, and then after a while, I'll ask you to open up yours to to hear what the manual is like and what God's promise is. Okay, let's go to 2 Timothy 3. Um, Just a little bit of background, Paul is in prison, and he expects to die. And this is likely the last book that he's writing. He's writing to Timothy. Um, He had been in prison before. It was kind of house arrest. This was much, much worse of a situation. And he is sharing with Timothy his heart and what does it take um, to live live godly. So the first part of this chapter is going to talk about the things that we all just spoke about. And I'm going to just... Rather than reading it all at one time, I'm going to go in little sections at a time um, as we wrap up or as we look at this. But understand this, that in, these, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And that's what we were just talking about. There will come times of difficulty. God tells us ahead of time there's going to be times of difficulty. And I want to just think a little bit about what the word difficulty means. And it, it um, in the in the original, it does have the idea of it's, a, it's something that takes your strength away. So that's, when we think about the times we live in, it's something that has the tendency to take our strength away. But the only other time it's used in Scripture is here. When Jesus goes and he meets the demon-possessed men that are living in the tombs, and the, the word that's translated fierce here, so these, these men were so fierce that nobody could go by. That is the same word for the difficult times that we're going to live in. And 
these are the only two times it's used in the Bible. So it has the idea, obviously, of a fierce time, and there's, there's spiritual warfare that happens um, along with this. So let's, let's keep that in mind. One other thing uh, that I will just mention here, when, when God says the last days, and I, I don't want us to get hung up on this, but he does sometimes use it in the context of right shortly before the second coming, and it's also used in the context of any time after Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so as we read the passage, let's keep that in mind that I think it's actually clear that God is addressing both because he was addressing Timothy with specific instructions. He also is addressing us living in that era and uh, in the context of the last days. Okay, so there's going to come difficult times of difficulty. And I'm going to read what, why we're going to have times of difficulty. And, and we could spend all morning talking through these things and examples of them. And I'm going to trust that we all see these examples. I'm not going to give lots of examples there are 19 things listed here that describe the, what is going to happen in people's hearts and uh, in the world we live in. So here's why it's going to be time of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So is it clear why God is using the word for fierce times that we live in? And again, we could talk about any one of these the one, I, or one I'll just point out is that you know, God, his first commandment to us is to love God with all of our heart and to love people. And one of the things that defines the last age is lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So anytime we are created to love God and anytime we love other things, it creates this havoc here in the middle. And so I think we're seeing that played out in culture when we love other things other than God. So they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of it. Just a reminder to us, in 1 Corinthians, God tells us that the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So the, the Christian life is the Holy Spirit in us, God's power to live out the Christian life. And there will be a time where people will have a form of godliness, but not the power to go with it. So they will potentially uh, will be dealing with religious people who are not or who have an appearance of being good, but who are not genuine. So I have a question. When you look at a list like this, what, what is your reaction to it? You hear, we see a list like this. What is your reaction? And this, this is a bit of a confession to me, uh, for me. But as I look at this, it... I wish that there was more just grief and sadness. This is what sin does in the lives of people and is, is happening all around us. If I'm honest about it, and I wanted to put the quote up here because it was convicting to me, when I think about the last days and see these things, this is coming out of the commentary that I read. 
Often, well, let me just read this. The concern focuses not so much on the destructiveness of evil around us, but whether or not evil will affect our way of living. And I find that very convicting because that is one of the things that I can deal with is rather than a grief over sin, wanting to see people freed, thinking, well, how does this affect me? What, what is this going to do? All right, let's go on. And these verses uh, are a bit hard to understand. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. So we don't know all of the background here. We do know that in Ephesus, where Timothy was, there were a lot of widows. And in, in that culture, ladies would have been at home more. And some of the thinking is that there would have been the expectation to invite teachers into their house to hear and to learn. And so false teachers would go around and essentially prey on, on women who were in that situation and they, in that situation, they were dealing with guilt of some kind and then led astray by various passions. So I don't know what all was happening, but one thing we see again and again is that Satan and deception looks for ways to get into where we are susceptible. And that's what was happening in this culture. Um, as far as the names of these people here, um, tradition says that these were the magicians in Egypt that were opposing Moses. So the first plague, they tried to imitate it. So again, we don't, I mean, it's not recorded in the account, but that's, according to tradition, that's who they were. So they, they did the first two plagues, and when it came to the third, they said, you know what, this is the finger of God, and we cannot do anything with that. So they won't get far. Uh, their folly is going to be plain to all. So we've talked about a culture that declines. And uh, we'll talk about deception as well. So here, here is Paul to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. So just contrast the, the list of 19 things that sin decays, gets to greater and greater captivity compared to Paul and what, what God had done in his life. So he's telling Timothy, you know my teaching. Timothy had traveled with him. He knew all about Paul's life. He was a fellow worker with him. And Paul is saying, there's nothing to hide. You know what's here in me. And then he goes on and says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And we just came through Acts talking about all of these. So Antioch, they, you know, there was an uproar, chased them out of the city. In Iconium, they were about to get stoned, but Paul found out about it. In Lystra, they actually did get stoned and were left for dead. And Paul comes along and says, from them all, the Lord rescued me. And what's so fascinating, and again, this is bouncing back to Sunday school, Paul goes back to each one of these cities and encourages the church and says, look, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, it comes with persecution. So he goes and gets persecuted gets run out, and then he comes right back and just and says, this is what is included in the Christian life. Indeed, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, does it sound like we've just read from Scripture the things that our concerns are looking ahead? The decay of culture, deception, and persecutions. So, it's very plain. God says if we're going to walk with Christ, we need to expect opposition and persecution of some kind. We don't go looking for it, but we need to expect it. And in our culture, thankfully, there has been enough of a foundation over the years that respects Christian teaching that we don't face a lot of this. But it's very clear. Anytime a true follower of Jesus is serious about walking with Christ, there will be persecution and opposition back. And we have to, we have to be okay with that, knowing that God predicted it ahead of time and knowing that God is able to, to rescue or to provide for us um, in all of that. So that summarizes uh, some of the, yeah, like I said, the concerns. And now we're going to take a pretty big shift here in saying, I'd like to look at a promise that is tied with the concerns that we all have, starting in verse 14. And he just said that evil men and deceivers are going to get worse and worse. They're going to make progress, but in, in the backwards kind of way. And he says, but as for you, continue... And that word means don't move at all. Just don't get shaken. So evil men are going to get worse, but for you, stand your ground. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is what's happening around us. This is what we're concerned about. But Timothy, I want you to remember what you learned, and who you learned it from. And he's talking about Scripture, the sacred writings. And likely he's talking about learning these from his mother and from his grandmother. And again, we just covered all of this uh, in Sunday School in Acts. So remember who you learned these things, and you've known them from childhood. And what does Scripture do? It's able to make us wise to salvation through faith in Christ. So Scripture doesn't save us. Paul's an example of this. Paul knew Scripture inside out, as we would say, inside out and backwards. But the foundation of Scripture does allow God to use that to open our eyes to come to faith in Christ. And I want to just encourage um, parents, and particularly you moms here, that this is such a foundation and a gift that we can give our children, is to teach them Scripture and to have the foundation there and hopefully as a church, we're equipping our children because it does enable us to have our eyes open to see Christ for who he is and to come to faith in Christ. And then he goes on, and here's the promise that we all know, but this is our hope when we talk about our concerns and the promise for how to navigate it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Is this promise not a breath of fresh air after all that we've just talked about, the concerns that we have, the concerns that are laid out in Scripture, 
And God is saying, my word is sufficient to equip you no matter what you face in your life. For any of us, for any era, God's word is sufficient to equip us. And my sermon is very simple. That, that is my hope and my prayer that we can leave with a confidence, but yet a dependence and almost a desperation on the word of God that he promises literally to equip us for whatever we face. And we don't even need to know the specifics of what we'll face. God says that regardless of what they are, his word is sufficient to, to equip us. I feel like I'm kind of giving away my hints, but um, could you open up the second package here? I want to just um, show the children what I have in here of what is like a manual and what is like a promise. Can you open up the tape and just show everybody what's inside? Okay, can you hold it up? Thank you. So there was a Bible in the package. And so for the children, what God is promising here is that as we spend time in his word, as we apply it, that it is a manual for us for our life. And he promises to make so that we'll be ready for anything that we have to face and for anything that he has for us to do. Isn't that an amazing promise from God? And I, you know, one of the things that I thought about in studying for this is you know, the end times has such a, it can cause so much fear. But I do want to take comfort in the fact that God actually outlines ahead of time what we're going to face, which means God is still in control. God is all-knowing. He knows exactly what time, kind of times we're going to live in and what we need to be equipped for them. So I'd like to just look a little bit yet at verses 16 and 17. Um, the promise of God. So first of all, he says that all Scripture, and, and this is the entirety of it, all Scripture is profitable. And I don't know, in these times, they, it seems like they were wrangling over certain parts of it, over genealogies and certain portions, and getting hung up on their parts. But God says that all Scripture is there for our training. And then he says that it is breathed out by God. It is the very, it is the very breath of God. So it's not just, um, well, it is the inspired word of God, but it wasn't an inspiration in the way we mean it, that, oh, I was inspired by this, and so I jotted a few things down. But it was, it was literally God's, God's breath, God's word, moving through men to write, uh, to write his word for us. Second um, Peter 1 describes this, and this is just so fascinating, verse 21 for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of, men, of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So somehow we have about 40 different authors at different times, and personalities come out, but it's, it's God's breath and God's word and, and his word for us. So it is, it is God's word. That's the promise. But then look at what he promises to do with this. First of all, he says that it is, uh, that it is profitable it's valuable, and it is valuable because it comes from God himself, that God does give us his word, and of course it has value to it. I, I don't know, for some reason studying this just kind of hits me in, in a new way, that God did give us a book that we can read, we can take, take with us, and it's not an uh, encyclopedia with 28 volumes. Yes, there's different parts of it, 
but it is a book, and he promises that it is profitable and that it will equip us. So real quickly, what is it profitable for? Profitable for teaching or for doctrine? And so it, it's the idea of what is it that we believe to be true? And again, our life, our life does flow out of what we believe to be true. So God's word is profitable for doctrine, for, for what is true. What do, we, uh, what do we believe? And then for reproof. And this has the idea of just confronting somebody when they're wrong. So God's word is profitable when I'm getting wrong, when I'm on the wrong course, God's word convicts and confronts me. And then for correction. You know, it's one thing just to stop somebody and say, hey, you're going the wrong way. But correction has the idea of actually helping us get back on course and knowing where to go. And then the last thing is a training that we are, that we're, the word has the idea of that we're, we're fit or we're in shape for what we need to do. So God's word, it, it helps us with what we believe. It, it uh, corrects us when we're wrong and it trains us. Um, yesterday, I had the, uh, the fun and the privilege of helping out with the 4-H. It was a 4-H competition and I got tasked with manning the tomahawk throwing station. So the kids could move around to different things, and there was a target there with, with tomahawks. Well, I am not really good at throwing tomahawks, so I had to practice in the morning to try to get down to be able to teach them. But I had to think about this. The kids would come along, and they didn't really know what they were doing. They were all into it. They had a lot of enthusiasm, but they didn't really know what they were doing. And so we'd have practice for them. And so we would teach them you know, the truth of, of how you need to throw this, when they would do it wrong, we would stop them and correct them and then try to help them to get it right to hit the target. So just a teeny little example of what Scripture can do in our lives is just stopping us, helping us know what to believe and, and teaching us and training us. Then the promise. Look at the promise in, in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete or competent or perfect or skilled for whatever we need and equipped for every good work. We are ready for service. Isn't this, ama isn't this line here amazing in the context of saying, culture's going to get worse, deception is going to be bad, and you're going to get persecuted, but God's word will actually literally equip you for any good work. And it's so, it's so, the idea is so far beyond just hanging on for dear life and making it through. No, God is actually equipping us for service regardless of what we face. And I am so thankful for that, that God promises to do that for us. Another thing I found fascinating in studying for this and thinking about this, the Center for Biblical Engagement, and I had read this earlier, they do all of this research on how people are relating to the Bible and the impact that it has. And for some reason, they said that in surveying lots of people, Believers who engage regularly with the Word of God at least four times a week have a very different pattern of life than those who engage less than that. So I'm not saying you need to have devotions only four times a week. I'm not saying it's a magic number. But I found that very interesting in polling lots of people. Christians who regularly spent time in God's Word at least four times a week, their life was very different than professing believers who did not. And in fact, in the survey, professing believers that did not engage with God's word at least four times a week, one of the things they asked them about actually were hardly different than unbelievers. So just, I will drop that off uh, for what it's worth. 
I find so much hope in this, and again, we're, we're not going to talk a long time about this, but just the progression of, God, of what we believe, correcting us where we're wrong, and teaching us how to live. That, that, to me, is how God changes our heart. That's how His grace flows in and through us. And even reading Scripture, I think this can be a helpful framework to think through. God, what do I believe about you? What do I need to repent of? Are you trying to correct me anywhere? What do I need for the future? What, uh, what do I need training in? So as you read your Bible uh, this week, keep in mind that you have the author with you, living inside of you, and actually he is the one speaking and applying what you're reading to your life. I'm very thankful for God's word and, and God's, how his word impacts everyday life and all of life. You know, God could not address every situation that we ever will face in every era. He doesn't tell me how much to spend on a car. He doesn't tell me all of these specifics. But as I read God's word and spend time with him, he will address every area of my life in this way to equip me for whatever God has for me. So God's word is sufficient to equip me for what he has for me to do. So again, the sufficiency of God's word, God through his word to equip his people no matter what they face. So uh, from the end of the chapter, here's what God, God points out in his word that his word does. It's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. I had to think of Reuben, what you were sharing um, this morning about the, the gentleman in Liberia. God's word is able to make us wise for salvation. Um, it's profitable to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us, and in the end, to be equipped for every good work. So I found this um, convicting in my life. I believe the power of God to do this through his word. Um, but setting aside the time and making his word a regular and consistent pursuit in my life um, is where the rubber, I guess, meets the road, as they say. And that's what I want to live out is just a fresh appreciation for God's word and his promise to equip us no matter what we face um, for good works and regardless of what comes in the days ahead. I invite you to stand and just want to ask God's blessing on us from here. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are. God, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you are all-knowing, you are all-powerful. God, we recognize that we live in, in dangerous times, and God, your followers have lived in dangerous times throughout all of history, in every situation. And uh, God, we ask for your protection in the particular situation you've placed us in. I ask, Lord, that you would um, protect us from evil, protect us from deception. God, give us grace when we face opposition. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. And God, we trust you through your word to equip us to face whatever lies ahead. And so, Lord, may our confidence be in you and your word and the sufficiency of it to equip us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And I want to walk with you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.